0: Everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with a business entrepreneur who has opened over a dozen companies in his lifetime, from a small construction company to owning a submarine and beach shack to a disco producer. His lifelong love of comedy led to producing live comedy shows, TV series, concerts, and in no time he opened his first comedy club, Laughs Unlimited. He built this into a chain of the most successful comedy clubs in America. He brings his vast experience working with some of the most famous names in comedy, such as Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, Bob Saget, and Stina Carvey. Please welcome R. Scott Edwards.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, good to see you, Jeffrey. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, people. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. That's enough of that. Okay, good to be here. You're absolutely correct. I'm a little out of my mind. I'm a serial entrepreneur and lots of information to share with your listeners.
0: Oh, yeah. And to start things off, how have you been doing?
1: You know, things are going pretty good. My last endeavor was an insurance agency, and I recently sold it, and I'm staying on as a producer, but I'm in that kind of quasi-semi-retirement state and just getting used to uh, spending more time at home than at the office. It's a little weird, but doing good.
0: Going back to the beginning, how did you first get started in stand-up comedy?
1: Well, that's kind of an interesting story, Jeffrey. I was actually at a minor age of 23. I was selling life insurance, and I was pretty good at it, but I really didn't like it. Uh, There's nothing like being a young, healthy 23-year-old and going up to people and saying, hey, you're going to die someday. Let's give some money to somebody else. It was not my joy, but I had a little vacation and I went down to Los Angeles with my then girlfriend, soon to be wife, soon to be ex-wife. And we were at the Comedy Store Satellite Room in Westwood, California, which is where UCLA is. And we saw Dave Collier, Sandra Bernhardt, and a bunch of other people. And I just fell in love with the concept of a comedy club. And on the drive home, I said, man, Sacramento, which is where i'm from i really need something like this and i came home and i quit my job and i went bankrupt so i'd have no debt and started uh, wheeling and dealing until i opened my room in august of 1980 probably before you were born
0: (laughs) yes you're right about that so now was stand-up comedy something you're always interested in beforehand
1: You know, no. Uh, Stand-up comedy was not really known at the time in the 60s and 70s. It was more an entertainment that was a break between jazz bands or strippers at a club. There wasn't a lot of mainstream stand-up comedy. I really caught the wave uh, right before it really took off and became an accepted art form. I have a good sense of humor. I think I get that from my father. He was the one that I suggested I go to the comedy store. And I think that sense of humor and real hunger for a fun business is what led me to uh, open Laughs Unlimited.
0: And in your opinion, what would you say are the differences between the comedy business and show business in general?
1: People in show business, and and I consider myself a producer. I'm not a comic. I owned a chain of comedy clubs. So I'm a businessman and, and a producer. I produce shows, television concerts, and live stage shows. But in Hollywood, a lot of the entertainment, the talent, is... Self included. In other words, the actor's talent is within that person, and a comic's talent is that person. They're kind of like golfers. Their sole talent is what's out there shared with the public. And when you're a producer, you would not only have to get involved in the brick and mortar of owning a club, which means employees and liquor licenses and taxes, which these people don't have to worry about, but it also means That I'm cultivating and really, for lack of a better word, taking advantage of other people's talents. So I had to have an eye for the talent in these entertainers so that I could bring it together and produce, uh, hopefully, a successful entertainment
0: show. What do you think is the number one mistake beginners in stand up comedy make?
1: My biggest problem that I found out was that people thought it was easy. (laughs) You know, back in the 80s and 90s, people thought, oh, I'm going to get five minutes of material, go on The Tonight Show, get discovered, and I'll have a sitcom and be a millionaire. And that did happen for a few people that got the golden ticket. But uh, the reality is it's a job. Much like anything else you're going to be at, professional sportscaster, actor, even a lawyer, you have to do the work. And what a lot of uh, wannabe comics don't understand is it's a job. The people I know that made a career out of it for over 30 or 40 years had a schedule. They made a point of trying to write new material every week. They performed as often as they could wherever they could to get that experience and to hone their act and if they were super super lucky they got on the tonight show got discovered and got a sitcom but most of them which are really funny people that just aren't famous made a great 30 40 year career out of entertaining
0: people with Stand up comedy. What would you say are the hurdles to opening up a comedy club?
1: <laughs> well, what's a little bit different is a comedy club is a combination of an entertainment venue and a restaurant. So I had to learn quickly the nuances of owning a restaurant, how to buy food, prepare it safely, get it out and served. But also on the comedy club side, I was producing the shows, trying to find the entertainers that worked well together. And then you have all the staffing and the taxes and the uh, one of the biggest pains is a liquor license here in California. We opened up with a beer wine license, which is you know three four hundred dollars and we could sell beer and wine all day long. but to get a full bar license, which is what you need for a successful club and it did take us a couple of years. It could be seventeen eighteen thirty thousand dollars, and you got to go through a long process with the alcoholic beverage control people so there's challenges but and you just have to stay focused and get it done
0: and of all the comics you've seen over the years which one made you laugh the hardest
1: I've been blessed I've had Robin Williams on my stage Graham Chapman from Monty Python, Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, as you mentioned, Dana Carvey. But I have to say that one of my favorites is a guy you would all recognize. Go out and Google his name, Larry Miller. He's done over 100 TV shows and movies. But Larry Miller had a gift. He, Jerry Seinfeld, Mark Schiff, and Paul Reiser formed a club in New York City called The Funniest Men in the Universe back in the 70s, and they were all comic wannabes then. And Jerry's the one that got the golden ticket and is worth something like $400 now. But Larry Miller had a way of telling a story. Some comics do two- and three-minute bits. Larry Miller could tell a 20-minute story, have you laughing throughout and riveted. He was amazing. One of the funniest men definitely on the planet. Larry Miller, check him out.
0: Oh, yeah. I was about to ask, who do you think is the funniest stand-up comedian working today? And I'm guessing Larry Miller is your answer.
1: Well, Larry's retired now, and he really made his money in TV and movies. But right now, there's some very funny people. Dana Carvey's still performing. Uh, Steve Bruner, Tim Bador, There's a lot of funny people. But the ones that your audience would know that are still performing, which is really exciting, is Bob Saget. Uh, Jay Leno still gets on stage every week. Jerry Seinfeld still gets on stage every week. And it's interesting because they're multi-millionaires. So why do they still do it? Because they love the art form, the interaction with the audience.
0: Well, yeah. In fact, probably another prominent stand-up comedian today well is a fictional one since she's on a TV show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a great show and it's interesting because it does kind of share the difficulties in getting on stage as an open micer and getting in front of a bunch of strangers it's something I recommend everybody try at least once in their life just to get those endorphins going but what I think makes stand-up comedy and that TV show special is Mrs. Mazel is trying to get rid of her demons and at the same time relate to the audience and entertain and that is something that is a secret goal of all entertainers. You have to connect with the audience. And at the same time, you're talking about stuff you know.
0: And out of curiosity, why do you have a picture of Gary Shindling in women's clothing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that was supposed to be a secret.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: so I had my first. Our main club was in a tourist area of Old Sacramento, and just a couple doors down the street was one of those family portrait places where you could do dress up as your famous outlaw or school marm from the 1800s and get your picture taken. And families do it all the time. It's just a fun tourist thing. Well, I guess he was bored, but Gary Shanling, famous for the Larry Sanders show, was waiting to go on stage, ran over there, got all dolled up. I mean, he had the gloves and the big hoop dress and posed as a school marm from the 1800s got the picture, autographed it to me. I was so proud. I put it front and center on my wall. It was just kind of a quirky thing he did. These guys have a strange sense of humor. Well, just a couple weeks later, Bob Saget was in the club. He saw this and saw the great position he got on my wall Thought it was really funny. And he really decked it out. He had a fan and little lacy gloves and a fancy Poufant Sunday bonnet, you know, got his picture taken and autographed it to me. And I put that up on the wall. And those two pictures were side by side on my wall for over 20 years. It was just a joy to be able to work with guys like that and call them friend.
0: Yeah, that sounds really nice.
1: You know, what was great about being in the comedy business was the people. You meet some uh, real interesting and and great people. And unlike what some of your listeners might think, uh, entertainers aren't on. All the time, you know, uh, even Robin Williams, after he would do one of his hyperkinetic high-energy sets, when he was backstage, he was very calm and collected, actually almost a little shy. And it's the same with these entertainers. They're just real people offstage doing a job that they love. Now, there's always the exceptions. We had a few, you know, not-so-nice people come through the club. But uh, in general, one of the greatest things about being in the uh, stand-up comedy career was the people we met.
0: And cancel culture has pretty much become a trend within the past couple of years in the press and on the Internet. Do you think comedy can survive such a thing?
1: It is definitely dampening all of entertainment. I think that uh, politics doesn't belong in schools. It doesn't belong in our health care. It doesn't belong in our entertainment sanctum. But uh, it is there. And I was just on a clubhouse meeting that I do every Tuesday with some comics. And we were talking about just that subject. And they were saying that it's just such a different vibe that uh, back in the 80s and 90s, stand-up comedy is the last bastion for free speech. So you could pretty much say and do whatever you wanted. And the audience knew that it was meant to be funny And that if somebody got offended, let's say out of an audience of 200, if one or two people got offended, that was kind of on them. But in today's stand-up world, with this woke environment, everyone's not only aware of their own sensibilities, But they're projecting onto everybody else in the audience, and so oh, he did a, a joke about a Russian. You know, are there any Russians in the room? You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous that they're trying to expand what they think is empathy and caring, really, to an over zealousness to find problems with it when it's just entertainment you know that's what you got to remember folks you can't laugh at yourself don't laugh at all
0: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i'm someone who always believes that one must never run away from their problems they must face them and sure you know people do complain oh do late night talk show hosts and award show hosts need to get political like people say no they award shows should not get political but well sometimes it's your own damn fault for the show's getting political to begin with because it may have been a result of what you did in the elections.
1: Exactly, and and you stated it so well that I think it turns off the audience When you turn everything that's supposed to be, I mean, entertainment, whether it's singing, dancing, magic, or juggling is meant to be escapism. You want to get away from the problems of the world or your family or your job and to bring it to entertainment and sports, for example, I think defeats the purpose. We're supposed to have some way to not deal with everyday issues. And that's what all entertainment should be, whether it's sports or theater. And in stand-up comedy, they have the extra pressure that it's just them on stage. And so being able to entertain the audience in this woke environment can be very challenging. It's not as much fun. That's too bad.
0: Well, yeah. Like, I personally think a good idea, look, if you want to get political, at least don't do the political jokes right away. At least make the audience feel welcomed and then do the political jokes later on because then the audience will pretty much has no way out of it.
1: Well, and, and you're right. And I, that actually holds true for anything you're going to talk about. You want to get the audience to know you a little bit. I mean, one of the things about stand-up comedy is you're exposing yourself to a room full of strangers. And once they understand who you are and that you're there to entertain them and not preach to them, then you can go out and do a little bit more edgy material, and they'll go with you, because the audience wants to be entertained. But it's getting harder and harder.
0: And for those who'd like to have a career in stand-up comedy, where do you think would be a good place to start?
1: Call me. No, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, uh, the secret to stand-up comedy is getting on stage, which is still a little difficult, but it's going to get better. I do have an online comedy school. Be a stand-up comic or just look like one. It's based on a book I wrote, and it has a lot of great information. But if you go to my website, www.standupcomedy.com, there's lots of great information. But it is one of those art forms that you have to do it to understand it and succeed at it. Like Walt Disney once said, stop talking about it and start doing it.
0: Exactly right. So before we go, do you have any other upcoming projects that you'd like to share with us?
1: Well, I I did want an opportunity, Jeffrey, with your permission to plug my podcast. If you're a fan of stand-up comedy, I have a terrific podcast. It's out every Sunday called Stand-Up Comedy, Your Host and MC. And every other week, we do a series of uh, live comedy sets from back in the day where you can hear comedy unfiltered. And then on the opposite week, we have interviews with the famous and not-so-famous comic entertainers that are friends of mine and at this point there's been over uh, 40 interviews lots of great information for your listeners and more important some great comedy entertainment so if you can't find an escape on tv or in sports turn on a podcast and escape this woke environment Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the goal right
0: absolutely scott i thank you very much for devoting your time to this interview it was great getting to talk to you
1: Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. It's been great to be here. And I hope your listeners got some fun out of it. Really appreciate your time.
0: I appreciate this too. And for those who'd like to keep up with your career, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, I mentioned it, uh, comedy or com or through the podcast. Reach out. You can email me if you have any questions about being a comic or the career. I'm always happy to share. I've had over 40-plus years as a comedy producer, uh, concerts, TV shows, and uh, thousands of live shows, and I've gotten a chance to work with some of the best in the business. And as you can tell by today, I love sharing lots of fun stories.
0: Thank you again for joining me today, Scott. This was great.
1: All right. Thank you, Jeffrey.
0: If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash carereviewspodcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at Carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.